0: And uh, we are going through the book of Acts verse by verse. And we're, we just finished chapter 7 or into, into chapter 8. If you remember, chapter 7 was focusing on one man's life. His name was Stephen. Okay, see if I can catch up here. You can pick me up here. Uh, chapter 8, we come to another guy named Philip. And last week we saw Philip uh, flee Jerusalem and head up to Samaria. Samaria. And where the normal Jews didn't want to go. And he went up there and he had a revival. People were getting saved everywhere. It was absolutely it was absolutely uh, just miraculous. Even Simon the sorcerer got saved. A little confusion there, but he got saved. But as we come, um, there we go. All right. So uh, let's see if I catch up with myself here. Um, when we come here into chapter 8. All right. So uh, when we come to chapter 8, I'm going to talk to you about an Ethiopian's search for God and how he found God in Jesus. All right. So um, when, when we uh, come to chapter 8, we not only find out about Philip, we find out about a guy who's traveled 3,900 kilometers, 3,900 kilometers from Central Africa along straight up and then into Israel to go to um, Jerusalem. And he's, he's looking for something, folks. He's looking for God. So um, uh, it's, he's not going to find him until God pushes Philip out uh, of his comfort zone and out of that revival and down into the desert to meet him and teach him from the scripture. So let's, let's pick up here in chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. I want you to see how Philip is sensitive to God. Acts 8, 26. Now, uh, the angel of the Lord speaking to Philip saying, Arise, go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now, how many of you know that there is a place still called Gaza? All right. A lot of problems down there. Okay. Well, Philip's going to go down to that area to a desert. Pick up in verse 27. And he arose and went. Behold, guess who he meets? an Ethiopian, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. Now, God spoke to Philip. Now, he used an angel uh, as a messenger, as a postman, okay? Uh, In the Old Testament times, God would use dreams and visions and prophets and angels. Uh, Even in New Testament times, Jesus would sometimes speak like he does to... The apostles, well, to Saul of Tarsus, in chapter nine, and um, uh, but since that time, since the time, since the completion of the Bible in the first, the end of first century, God doesn't talk to anybody in dreams anymore. Okay, sorry. If you have a dream and God seems to tell you to go stand on your rooftop and you know, uh, on your head and sell all your money and and you sell all your uh, your goods and uh, prepare for the end of the world, that's not God telling you to do that. Okay. God doesn't use that anymore. He gave us all the dreams and visions we need right here. It's a lifetime of study right in the Bible. So um, uh, the the whole point is that Philip was sensitive to God speaking to him. Now, not everybody has that ability nor wants it. I need you to take your Bible. You're going to hold your place here and go to Matthew 13, Matthew chapter 13, in verse 15 and 16. Matthew 13, 15, and 16. And this is Jesus saying, he said, this people's heart is waxed gross. Now, waxed is a, is a word that just means gross, and gross means full. You ever been to a grocery store? That's where the word is used. Grocery means a full house, all right? You go buy stuff there because it's stocked up. So um, this waxed grocers means their heart is full, and their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart, and should be converted and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. So Jesus says, you know, I'm talking to the Jewish people and they're not listening. But at least the disciples were and there were some people who were. But not everybody's like that. Uh, some people have a real problem. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Hold your place in Acts. We'll Go one more place here and then go back to Acts. 2 Timothy chapter 4 in verse 4. 2 Timothy 4, 4. Paul is warning about, uh, look in verse 3. Warning about a time coming when Christians aren't going to want to hear. In um, 2 Timothy 4 3, it says, For the time will come, Timothy, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, so they heap to themselves teachers. Put on there Joyce Myers, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, all of these fancy tellers, Joel Osteen. They heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Verse 4 And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So, Folks, uh, when God spoke to, to Philip, Philip was ready and sensitive to God speaking to him. And that's very important. We come to church, and I don't want to say anything to you. I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I want, when we're reading this Bible, that you hear another voice. Because there are there are countless numbers of religions and churches and stuff, and they're all speaking for God. What we need is we need to hear him ourselves. We need, while we're reading the Bible, to know the Lord is speaking to us, now where did what? Where did God want Philip? Look what He says there again in Acts eight, and it says there, uh, verse twenty six: The angel of the Lord speaking to Philip, saying, "Arise and go toward the south, under the way that goeth down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza." And then He says, "Which is a shopping mall? No, uh, which is paradise? No, He sends them into a desert." Now, what's amazing is He goes. When God asks you to do something that's maybe inconvenient or not what you would plan, how much argument do you put up? He put up new argument. He went. He, he started walking. Now, I want you to understand, that's, quite, that's 120 kilometers. That's 80 miles, almost 80, 70-some-odd miles from Samaria, where he was, all the way down to the desert of Gaza, and he was willing to walk that entire way, not knowing why, where he's going in the desert, not knowing, what he's going to do, who he's going to meet. It's a, it's a little example of what it means to live by faith. Sometimes God asks you to do something without showing you where you're going. Okay? So, uh, and guess who gets to see? Now, he's headed out in the desert. Get this idea. This is not, let me move this thing. This is not, you know, a, a, a holiday he's going on. Uh, he's headed out into a desolate desert. It's kind of pretty worthless out there still. And in verse 27, it says, and he arose and went, and behold, there's somebody out there. There's a, there's a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure. He was in charge of all her wealth. He had come to Jerusalem for a worship. 28, he was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah, the prophet. So Philip notices a caravan way off in the distance there. And the central figure around that caravan was a black man, an Ethiopian. And everyone was, was hustling about him and doing whatever he said. He was a very important person. He's probably dressed to kill. He probably was just stunningly dressed. He's super wealthy and he's very powerful. And Luke tells us a little bit about this man. He's a eunuch. Now, I don't know if you understand, but he's working for a queen which means they they castrated him so that he would never sort of interfere. And so he's a eunuch, and everybody knows when you're working for royalty, they make sure that you're not tempted or that you're not going to do something wrong. And they made him a eunuch. And he's a treasurer over all the queen's wealth. That's a pretty important job. all right. You give me all your money, expect me to make you money and protect your wealth. That's a stupid job, man. I wouldn't want it for the world. The stress of trying to protect somebody else's wealth. But he's got that job. He's traveling back to Ethiopia. So he's already traveled 3,900 kilometers up from, uh, from Ethiopia up to Jerusalem. And now he's returning. It's a 30-day trek on foot or by camel. I mean, camels don't race. <laughs> Not normally, okay? Maybe four miles an hour max. And so uh, he's headed back another 30-day travel. Why has he been there? He came to worship. Came looking for something. Now, while he was there, he picked up something, didn't he? What did he get when he was in Jerusalem? He got a scroll. He got a book of the Bible. He got the book of Isaiah. So he's he's converted from paganism. He's converted from being a heathen down in uh, Ethiopia. And he's become a proselyte to Judaism. He is trying to walk with and know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, um, uh, uh, just just uh, realize this is a very important person. Normally, very important people don't care about other people's opinions, not less than on Facebook. All right. This guy, he's looking for something. He has great power. He doesn't have to listen to anybody. And yet, he's traveled. Oh, here I did, forgot my map. All the way down. This is, this is, Israel appear, he's traveled all through this desert to get down to Ethiopia, to the, to the palace back there in the kingdom, the, the uh, Ethiopian empire. And uh, uh, he's headed back there, as I'm saying. And this is quite a find. As, as Philip looks out there, he says, what am I going to do? How do you approach somebody like this? Okay, How do you approach, if you had the chance to approach Elon Musk, where would you begin? What would you say? If you have the ability, if you crossed, I know some of you. If we met up with Bill Gates, we tried to poison him. But if you met up with somebody so powerful, so important, would they even think to look your way? This guy, uh, um, this guy gets this. This Philip gets further instructions from the Lord. Look down there in verse 29. Then the Spirit sent it to Philip. Go near. Join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And he says, understand this what thou readest. Now, just stop there for a second. Uh, God has a few more instructions. He told him, I want you to go down to the desert. So he goes down to the desert, meets a guy. And the Holy Spirit says, now, look at the three things he says. Get up close to him. Go up to him. Get right up close to that chariot along on the chariot. I mean, the chariot's moving through the sand. And so he comes along as he's walking alongside him and he's talking with him. And he just talked to him. You know why most people aren't getting saved? Because we're not just talking to people. We're not actually, we, we kind of, we encounter people, but we're, we're not there with them. We're just kind of like, we've got our life, they got their life. And we never just sit alongside and have a cup of tea and just chat because that's where the gospel gets out and it gets comfortable and people can ask questions so the lord just told him i mean is that very complicated is it very complicated you see somebody sitting by themselves or they're you know uh, just walking along the way and you come alongside him and you say hey you ever thought about this or especially this this guy is reading from the bible you see somebody reading from the bible i've done this i've been at a coffee shop i see somebody read from the bible And I've never gone up to him and says, Understandest thou what thou readest? You know, (laughs) but I have gone along and it says, I've got a book like that too. How long have you been reading the Bible? And I'll just start off with this. So he starts there. And Philip, now I like what he does, he runs to the chariot. Do you see in Philip kind of if he's so willing to walk 120 kilometers, and when he sees a man, the Lord says, Go get him, you know, fetch. He runs up and he says, I can't wait to see what God's going to do here. And he hears that eunuch reading out loud in Hebrew a portion of the book of Isaiah. Um, and what an opportunity it was. I mean, it's, it's just, that's probably one of the best books you could lead somebody to Christ from in the Old Testament. It really is full of the gospel. And he asked a question, as we just read there, looked back there in verse 30. Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And I like how he answers. He said, How can I? Except some man should guide me. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Now, it's a great question. You know, do, you, do you understand what you're reading there? And, and you know, honest men will answer, No. <laughs> I read the Bible and I just don't get it. And the eunuch invites this, this, uh, uh, this Jewish man to sit up with him, sit with him in that chariot and start to explain some things to him. That's not a bad thing. I've noticed this. Uh, when a Jew gets saved, they know more of the Bible just by default. And they understand stuff in that Bible that no Gentile will ever see. So you're reading the Bible. Sometimes a saved Jew is one of the best Bible teachers ever because they grew up with it. They know how to connect the dots. So here's this Ethiopian man, and he invites that Jewish man, not knowing he's a Christian. Can you explain this to me? And he's got some questions. And the, folk, and the, and the truth is, we all need what Philip is about to teach this eunuch, and I call it keys to understanding the scripture. And what, what uh, Philip does is he gives him a literal approach to reading it. A lot of people read the Bible like it's fiction, like it's just a story. I'm here to tell you it's not a story, just a story. It is real history. It is real people. It is real prophecies. It's literal. Take it literally. Uh, Second thing we're going to see that Philip says, it's okay to have a questioning mind. As a matter of fact, that's the only way to learn. Ask questions while you're reading. Read it literally. You know, there's one time there, and there was a couple of times there in the book of Revelation describes the devil as a seven-headed dragon. You know what the devil is? A seven-headed dragon. Okay? It's not just symbolic. There are symbols there. But when he appears to people, he appears as a angel of light. But if you could peel off that veneer, he's a, he's the devil incarnate. He doesn't have doesn't have a forked uh a, you know, pitchfork tail and and all this stuff. No, he's a seven-headed fire-breathing dragon that devours his adversaries, his his devours Christians. So, literally uh, approach the bible ask yourself questions third if you're going to understand the bible it's okay to get a teacher get a get ask ask somebody it's okay to say you know i was reading my bible i have no idea what's going on to understand the bible don't think it's all up to you listen to people when when you come to church the whole idea is so somebody can teach you the bible okay so understanding the scripture Have somebody that you trust that can teach you the Bible. One thing that's very important we'll come back to it is you need Jesus. And this is probably the best part of this whole lesson we're going to see here in a moment. We'll come back to it in a second. Finally, you need the new birth. You need the Spirit of God in you explaining what he meant when he wrote it. You know, he's the author of Scripture. And if you want to know what he meant, just ask him because the Holy Spirit is a great teacher of Scripture. Uh, I've had people tell me, well, an unsaved man can't understand the Bible. That is a lie. That is not true. Everybody understands all have sinned. Everybody understands there is none righteous, no, not one. Everyone understands the wages of sin is death. Everyone can understand it is appointed a men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Anyone, I don't care how lost you are, can understand that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So there are people who say, the unsaved can't understand the scripture. What they what they should say is they can understand they can't understand 95% of it. But there's enough in that book for anybody. It's just written real plain that just take it literally and you'll realize how much in trouble you are with God. Okay? So, but that's as far as you'll go. You're gonna need the new birth understand the rest of it god will open up your understanding when the author of the scriptures in you john sixteen thirteen says how be it when he the spirit of truth is come he will guide you into all truth so uh when a person gets saved they get the spirit of god the holy spirit of god in them and he will teach you everything that's in this book folks so um Key to understanding the scriptures, read it literally, take it literally. When God says in six days, he made the heaven and earth, guess what? In six days, he made heaven and earth. I take it literally. I mean, six 24-hour days. Uh, And I always had questions um, when it comes to the Bible. Now, there are two people in this audience that have taught me new questions like Bill and Weston. But anyway, uh, always question, always, always. And uh, get you a good guide. Have you, you know, Pay attention to the pastor. Get you don't go to Joyce Myers, <laughs> don't go to Benny Hinn, don't go to all these guys. Get you somebody who just teaches the Bible. Read them and then pray and learn. You'll grow and grow. But I want to show you something here. This one fact is what uh, he's going to capitalize on here with this unsaved man. Um, uh, the key to understanding every page of Scripture is seeing Jesus everywhere. Most churches will spend all their time talking about the climate. Do you know right now in church services in Ireland, do you know what most church services are talking about? Our planet, our world, our, our ecology. They're talking about social injustices. They're talking about inequalities and poverty. They're, they're talking about politics, and they make very little of Jesus. And yet Jesus said in John chapter 12, he says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. All men need to learn about Jesus' life, his righteousness, and his sacrifice. You know, most people talk about ourselves and our problems. You know what David, uh, uh, when, when uh, let me get to, understanding the scriptures involves that you look at the Bible and you see when the Bible talks about the righteous man, the good man, you ever see that? The just man, you know who they're talking about most of the time? Jesus, because he's the only righteous man who's ever lived. David wrote about the perfect man. There's only one perfect man. His name is Jesus. When you start to read your Bible, you will see with Jesus in view, you'll see him almost on every page. Isaiah wrote about a sovereign man who died in the place of every sinful man. Here is a righteous man throughout scripture. Uh, You'll find also uh, he's the perfect Israel. When God talks about Israel like it's the best thing, he's referring to Jesus, the perfect Israel. He's the perfect Israelite. Also referred to as the Lamb of God from the Garden of Eden all the way out into eternity. He's the creative world at the beginning of the world, and he's also the final judge at its end. He's the brass serpent that Moses lifted up in the wilderness in Numbers 21. And he's the fourth man in the fire there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. Almost, I I wouldn't, uh, probably almost every chapter of our Bible describes something about Jesus. So when you start to see Jesus in every page, when the Bible says, and God said, let there be light, guess what just came out of nowhere? It was the word of God. Jesus is the living word and the word made everything. Uh, Luke 24 hold your place here in Acts. Go back to Luke chapter 24 in verse 25. Jesus is after the resurrection, he's talking with two men walking along a road. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Verse 26. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Christ being the Messiah. Verse 27. And beginning way back at Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus actually said every portion of the scriptures about him. Now. That's going to bring up how Philip deals with this eunuch. Look in verse, back there in Acts eight thirty two. 32. So he, he, verse 32, the place of the scripture where the eunuch was reading was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Is so he talking about himself or some other man? So who is this man? Let's look at that scripture again. I want you to to note a word that's in every one of these verses. Verse, there's just two scriptures here. The place of the scripture where you read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he, not his mouth, in his humiliation... His judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? All of a sudden, there's a whole bunch of questions, all right? It says, who is this guy? He, he's described as a lamb, a sheep. He's got no aggression. When was the last time you saw a lamb with fangs? They don't have claws. A lamb will walk right up to the guy who was about to take him to be slaughtered. Like a lamb. He is... He is being led to the slaughter, a butcher. He's going to be murdered. He is is somebody who doesn't speak any defense. He's he's like a lamb dumb before his shear. He doesn't say anything. He's humiliated. He's publicly mocked and beaten. His judgment, defense was refused. He was never allowed to defend himself and was never going to believe. He was guilty no matter what he did. And I like how it's very important. It says, uh, in this humiliation, his judgment was taken away, which is defense. And who shall declare his generation? Who's going to stand up for him? And his life was stolen from him. He was murdered. So he's asking, who is this guy? Could this be Isaiah? Could he be describing himself or some other man? So I want you to think for a second. It may not be apparent to you, but there's some, kind, some cool things in your Bible seven times this man is referred to in this scripture seven times he his him. In, in all of Isaiah 53 if you read the entire chapter there' are 42 times he his him shows up referring to the Messiah referring to to some man. 42 is 6 times seven. Kind of interesting there. God just wants you to know there's somebody. we're not talking about some mythical figure. we're talking about a person. And what he went through. Then he, then he takes him right through. And in verse 35, look there. I love how it says this. Then Philip opened his mouth, began at the very same scripture, and he preached unto him Jesus. Philip pointed out that Isaiah was describing what happened back in Jerusalem and that he had missed it. You just missed Isaiah 53 being fulfilled. Um. Philip then goes back through Isaiah 53 and describes Jesus. Would you go with me to Isaiah 53? And let me show you something. Isaiah 53. Verse 2. Isaiah 53 and verse 2. It's in the Old Testament, Gavin. Isaiah 53, 2, look at how Isaiah describes somebody way on the future. He says, he shall grow up before him, before God, as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. He's not beautiful. And When we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He doesn't attract us by looks. Verse 3, he's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. And this is where the next verse is where Philip hears him reading out loud. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, that's us. He shall prolong his days to eternity. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. You want the blessings of God? Get into Jesus's hand, verse 11. And he shall see the travail of this man's soul. And he shall be satisfied. God shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant, Jesus, justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, And he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sinning of of many and made intercession for the transgressors. All of that to say, wouldn't that have been awesome to listen as Philip is saying, let me go back through. And as he did, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Jesus is not was, but is the perfect sinless son of God. He's going through there. This is the son of God, he points out. He points out that this is the Lamb of God. This Jesus who had died on the cross and is described in Isaiah 53 is the Lamb of God, which has come to take away the sin of the world. He's the only Savior. He's the only Savior. Nobody can save themselves, and nobody can help you get saved. Only Jesus, and he's the only man who ever got up from the dead by himself. Isaiah 53 does not describe somebody who's still dead. He's back alive. Bible says that he has Um, uh, uh, he has eternal life. And just without going back over there, it's all good news that this is Jesus. And when he's going through that, I want you to see what the eunuch does. Back to Acts 8, 8.36. Verse 35, he's preaching unto him, Jesus, he's doing his best to explain everything. And as they went on their way, they came to a certain water. The eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? So as they're traveling, discussing what the scripture said and meant, they pass by a pool of water, which is kind of rare, okay? They're in a desert, and they're passing by a centra or a spar or something that's just not normally there, okay? And so he says, hey, here's water. We may not see another for another 100 kilometers. What's stopping me from being baptized? And that's a good question. Uh, I think it's a very good desire. I'm ready to get baptized. He wants, he, evidently, philip has been explaining that, you know, baptism is the, is the first step of obedience. After you've gotten saved, that's where you come out of the closet, you say, I believe in the Lord Jesus, I'm following him, and you make it public, and I can, I can just see the eunuchs saying, I'm ready, let's do it right now. now that's a great thing, okay? Uh, and uh, I, think, I, I think when you get saved, one of the ways I know you're saved is, man, you say, well, what, what do we do next? Where's the next church service? What Bible do I need? Where do I start reading? There's a hunger in a Christian, just like a brand new baby. So what's cool is Philip stops him, at least in your King James Bible. See, some people have newer Bibles. Maybe you've got an NIV or an HIV or you've got an ESV or all these new translations and stuff. But Philip knows the eunuch's got to pass a test before he gets baptized. Look in verse 37. And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest be baptized. And He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ was the son of God. All right. So he believes he's alive now. I mean, they covered a lot in that one chapter in Isaiah 53. And that eunuch says, I mean, I just believe, I just see him standing up and saying, I believe, I believe. Now, What is it that saves a sinner? It's not baptism. Dear God, would you please learn baptism can never save. It's not your church membership. It's not how much money you've given away to the poor. It's not all the good things you've done, not all the best efforts you've attempted. It's not the prayers you've prayed, folks. Do you know what gets a person saved? I'm going to call it strong belief in Jesus Christ. Now, the devils believe. So don't just say because you got a head knowledge that that's what's going to ever save your soul. What will save the soul is if you believe where? Not in your head, but with all your heart. I've had to go under the knife just a couple of times in my life. How many of you have had that terrifying experience We had to go on surgery? Some of you, all right, amen, not a proud thing to brag about. You know what you have to do? You're going to have some sort of faith in that man or that woman with that knife. All right? And whenever you, you know, whenever you say, all right, I'm signing this document saying, I, you know, I could die or whatever. There's, there's fear in the thing, but you just got to go with it. And with, as an as, as a unsaved person, there comes a time where you decide, I'm going to trust Jesus Christ with all my heart. I'm just going to go with it. And that is what says strong belief in Jesus Christ. A sinner's got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's not just a good teacher not just somebody in the Bible, not some Jewish rabbi, he's the son of Almighty God, that he suffered for you. Um, I think the thing that made, uh, all the things that were part of my conversion when I got saved 41 years ago, one of the things that the pastor really drilled and made very clear to me was that Jesus died for me. If there's nobody else on this planet, he still would have had to have come and died for the likes of me. All of a sudden, the Bible became very personal to me where I realized He loved me that much. That he was completely buried, dead and buried. I mean, they put him in the grave because he was gone. He didn't swoon. He didn't faint. He was gone. But that he resurrected. This is the gospel, the death, the burial and resurrection. You've got to believe that if you're going to be saved. And that he's alive now and forevermore. You know what else? There's only one other thing you need to believe and that he he can save anybody. You know why a lot of people don't get saved? because they don't think they're good enough. They don't think that Jesus could save them. And that'll, that'll send you straight to hell. You need, you need to believe that Jesus will save anybody. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the eunuch immediately, I, we read it there, he immediately stood up and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I don't know if he stood up, but I can just see him doing it. And he's just, I, in confidence, Jesus is my Messiah. He's excited. I think that is so cool. In front of all those other men, I mean, it must have just shook them to the core. It says, our, our, our leader here, the master who's taking us now on a 30-day trip, and now we're taking 30 days back, he, he's, he's kind of gotten fanatical. Before, he was looking for God. Now, look at his face. He's shining with joy. Let me just stop and just say nobody should ever get baptized until they can stand and say they believe with all their heart that Jesus has saved them from hell. Because there is a a spirit in this world of religious that says all you need to do is get baptized and you're on your way. All you need to do is join the church and you're on your way. Just subscribe to our YouTube and you're on your way. Uh folks, that is that is that is so wicked, folks. Uh I've had people who've actually you know asked, Can I get baptized? And I look at it and says, No, <laughs> I gotta find out. I gotta ask you where are you going when you die? Oh, I don't know. I'm I'm hoping I'm going to heaven. Then you certainly can't get baptized because you don't know where you're going. Your soul is your first priority, not your flesh, not your body, not some act. Your soul is, Acts 16, 31 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Baptism is only for after salvation. It's only a symbol that tells the world you're saved. It's the first step of a new Christian taken in a new life. Uh, Wicked people have edited the Bible. Now, let me read these verses like it is in the new Bibles. You ready? Look back there in Verse 36 they went on their way, and they came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Skip the next verse. Go to verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. What happened there? The guy asked, Can I get baptized? And in the new Bibles and the new translations, sure. Right on down into the water they went, and they got baptized. That is damning. Do you know why? When, when I'm talking to people, somebody will say this. Well, sure, I was already baptized. No, you got wet. That's all you got. So when I was baptized as a baby, I'm sure your parents meant the best. I'm sure that they did their best. But that's not baptism. Baptism comes before or after salvation. After. Always. It's always after salvation. Go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You're in Acts. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Most denominations—you wouldn't believe it—but most denominations teach that baptism is part of your salvation. It is a doctrine of the devil. The churches of Christ, also called the Disciples of Christ, teach this heresy that you can't—you're not saved until you've been baptized. It's heresy. First Corinthians chapter one, and verse seventeen: For Christ sent me not to what? Now Paul's the greatest soul winner this world has probably ever known outside of Jesus Christ. Paul won more people to, to Jesus Christ. And look what he says in verse 14. I thank God that I baptized none of you <laughs> because baptism isn't important. Verse 17, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not using the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For it is the preaching of the cross that is to them that perish. What is it? It's craziness. But to us which are saved, it is the power of God. You know what? A Bible believer would rather die than tell a person to be baptized. I do not mention baptism. I mean, if they might talk about it, I go back to the cross. I deal with sin. I deal with you. Do you know where you're going? Have you trusted Jesus Christ? And if they keep wanting to go to baptism, I'll keep telling them, uh, not yet. You're not ready. That is so important. Philip then baptizes the Eunuch. Look at verse thirty-eight. He does. He commands the chariot to stand still. Uh, and they went down both into the water, and Philip and the Eunuch both Philip and the Eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. That the Eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. So what you've got here is you've got a picture, you've got somebody baptizing using immersion. Uh, Philip didn't go down to the water and get a cap full of water and pour it on the eunuch. Didn't do that at all. Didn't sprinkle him on there. He put him down there and he put him through. The only thing that pictures or symbolizes Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. So when somebody gets baptized, you, they, they give their testimony. It's kind of humiliating. It's very embarrassing. You're having to tell, I was lost. I was wicked. I was a sinner. And then I met Jesus. And as Jesus died, I died. And I now believe in his death, in his burial, and his resurrection to save me. And I take them and I put them under the water. And then we count to 20. No. And then we pull them back up. <laughs> And we pull him right back up as a picture of his death, burial. You don't sprinkle dirt on a dead body, do you? You put them all the way under. And when a person gets baptized, they go into the water. It's called immersion. And it's only a picture. It's a symbol. It does nothing to fix your heart and soul. Jesus never said you must be baptized. What did he say? You must be born again. So... um, Uh, You know, Jesus did everything. Why? Baptism is just a picture of what Jesus did. I'm just trying to tell the world, I'm trusting the Savior who died for me and was buried and rose again. The eunuch and Philip split up. This is really cool. We're at the finish here. Look in verse 39. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. I would have thought that'd been a sad day. I mean, there's some people I really like being around. And I'm sure the eunuch was ready to give Philip a hug and say, Hey, do you mind traveling with me another couple hundred kilometers? And we can just talk more Bible. And the Holy Spirit said, Philip, I got something else for you to do now. And boom, there goes Philip. I don't know if he's running, flying, or what. And off he goes. And look what it says. And he saw him no more. And he still went on his way. What? Folks, you know, it, it, Christian life is hard because things are always changing. People are family, people you get to know, they have to move away or things change. But you ought to be rejoicing that there's something that is solid in your life that will never change. And that's your relationship with Jesus Christ. This man who used to be able to run his fingers through gold and used to be able to make decisions that would make and, and bring in more gold is now rejoicing at something that is priceless. He's forgiven. He's saved. He's, he's in the family of God through Jesus Christ. Uh, I would, I, I, um, Philip is now going to travel. It says that he heads up. It says Philip, caught away Philip, uh, verse 40. And Philip was found at Azotus and passing through. He preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. He even goes further north than, uh, than Samaria. He's way up in Caesarea over time. He travels somewhere around. What did I What did I write it down? Don't know where my list is uh oh he travels 300 kilometers north the eunuch still got to go 3900 kilometers south you know what's happening the gospel spreading out ethiopia's got a great history a lot of war and bloodshed there as well but ethiopia for the first for the next 400 years was a great simple christian nation until the catholics got a hold of it and the dark ages interfered with all that mess like religion and politics have destroyed that continent but Jesus Christ turned that nation around for God and it can turn around this nation too. And for the next 400 years, because one man took the gospel down there and told his queen, and told the palace and told the commoner about what happened to him on that road up at that desert, it changed that nation and the gospel went, you know, just each one reaching one will do a good job. It'll always work. Now, what have we learned? God always sends someone to the lost. is always asking us to go to somebody he sends each one of us to talk to somebody each day you wouldn't believe it but there are people sometimes it's your children they need the gospel sometimes your grandchildren sometimes it's your your boss or your co-worker student there God has somebody that you need to talk to and uh be yielded to God's leading when he says speak when he says talk to him because I think we're a bit too stubborn each person we meet is a soul. Every person. You say, well, I've already given the gospel. Would you like if somebody had given up on you before you got saved? Every person we meet is a soul in need of hearing, not about politics. I'm so glad COVID is almost gone. But we'll, we'll go back to the old days of talking. talk about politics. And there is something we've got to talk about that is so much better. Uh, evidently, God told Philip, Philip, that soul is worth an 80-mile walk to go give him the gospel, 80 miles. Lost people need to be reading and hearing the Bible, and this is very important. What made it so easy for Philip to lead him to Christ was the eunuch had a Bible, at least a portion of the scripture, Don't sell it short that a New Testament in somebody's hand, just reading the Gospel of John, just give them something to start reading. And it doesn't matter if they don't have to read the whole thing, but something, a few scriptures, once they hear the word of God, that's where faith comes in, amen? So give out New Testament. We've got entire, we've got boxes of New Testaments, Bibles, and and tracts. That's why you hand out and say, take a look at this, because with scripture, the Holy Spirit works. Uh, Always preach Jesus. Always, when you're talking and somebody says, what's it like at your church? Well, we talk about one person, Jesus. That's all I have to say. got to come and hear about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. His death, his burial, his resurrection is the good news, folks. Uh, do you believe with all your heart that Jesus is alive, like the Ethiopian eunuch did? I mean, the eunuch was willing to go all out because Jesus is alive. Philip had traveled all that way because Jesus is alive if we really believed, you know what, he is alive, it would show in our life. You know, if you have never asked him to save you, today would be a great day. Uh, You'd you'd become become a little joyful knowing your sins are forgiven. You'd change your life. Would you stand with me and bow your heads in prayer? As we just stand quietly, just think for a second. Think back to a time. Was there ever a time where the scripture sort of cuts you to the heart and, and you realized you were not saved? You realized you were looking, you didn't know where to look. And then somebody handed you a gospel track. Somebody invited you out to church. Somebody preached their heart out to you. And hopefully you responded. The only way to respond is with a broken heart for the, over the sin in your life. It's called repentance. And you respond by faith, crying out that Jesus would save you and that you believe that he's there and that you want him to save you. If you haven't done that, with every head bowed and every eye closed, you could ask him today. You could believe with all your heart and it will work. You don't have to go on some journey. You don't have to do any great deed. You got to stop doing and just believe. Would you do that? You're a Christian. Man, how many people are like the Ethiopian eunuch looking for something? Sometimes they look into the bottle. Sometimes they're popping pills trying to find something. Sometimes they're getting all messed up in the cults, in the occult, and they're looking for something. They don't know where or what to go. And there you are. You've got a little gospel track in your purse or in your wallet or in your car. You could make an eternal difference. (laughs) Father, make us a church on the move. Acts. We're reading the book of action. Lord, make it it part of our life that we're active as well. Because there are people who could sure be reached and need to be reached even today. If there be anybody who's not sure where they would go if they died, what would happen if they faced God in judgment today? Lord, I pray they stay after and they talk to me. We can settle it now. It's good news and it's available and it's, it's, it's open to all. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.